Hey ladies, you can have a guilt-free summer even if you love wine. I hear you. You want to stick with your diet this summer, but 2020 sucked out loud and you want to do all of the things. You've given yourself the same mental pep talk year after year and you tell yourself, this is the year I'm going to stick to my diet no matter how good the brownies look. You're not going to fall victim to peer pressure. Seriously, you're a grown-ass woman. You've got two superpowers, willpower and discipline, and they've never let you down before. All right, seriously, we've all done that pep talk, right? Guess what? This is the year that you are going to give up the spanks and not let that plate of brownies bring you to your knees. I have created a guilt-free summer guide where I break down how that you can enjoy your summer with any of the guilt or shame about what you're eating or drinking and still enjoy your summer. So ladies, I'm laying it out there for you. You got a few choices. You can continue to do keto. You can chase your tail trying to string 75 good days together for the 75 hard or be miserable eating 1,200 calories or you can grab the guilt-free summer guide so that you are not avoiding all of the things that you want to do this summer and you finally are giving yourself peace of mind for not stressing out over, am I doing enough? So grab the guilt-free summer guide right now. Welcome to the Fit Girl Magic Podcast. If you are ready to find your inner magic, develop great habits, and a rock-steady mindset to feel confident, comfortable, and fit in your body, you are in the right place. I am Kim Barnes-Jefferson, and I'll be giving you weekly doses of health, fitness, and life tips sprinkled with humor and real talk. If you're ready to be consistent without the stress of perfection, magic makers, it's time to slip into your favorite pair of PJs, grab some coffee, kick back, and listen to today's show. Hey, magic makers, another great episode for you today. Today, I spoke with Miss Jessica John, and you know, I find her so fascinating and I hope you do as well. She is a owner of, it's called Circus Mobility. And so many of you are like, hey girl, I ain't want to try to join the circus. No, no, no. I talked to her today because she is all about mobility and peak performance. And I feel, you know, you'll hear in the conversation today, we talked a lot about how does mobility and flexibility lead us to have longer, healthier lives, right? So many of us talk about healthy aging, and it's all about having collagen in our coffee. But have you really thought about, are you moving your body in the full range of motion? You know, I hear so many times, you know, after working in a gym for so long, so many people have like creaky knees and cranky shoulders and, you know, achy this or achy that. And it's the mobility, mobility, yes, that's what I'm saying, right? The mobility piece that is missing for many people. And Jessica and I talk, you know, why that's so important. You know, she uses it in the context that she helps people who actually like they perform for a living, right? These are people who are like, you know, the Cirque du Soleil athletes. These are people who do the aerial silk type athletes or people who just want to, you know, as she just fell in love with aerial And this is just what she does for fun. You know, the other things we talked about that I think was just interesting is that, you know, we talked about it's okay to fail, right? And, you know, this type of work has taught her that it's okay to fail 
And, you know, how do you get, like, take a failure and turn it into a strength? You know, we talked all about breath and how it's so important to you. I just, I just absolutely love this conversation. We talked about so many different things that have applications above and beyond mobility. You know, so have, take a listen and I will love to hear your thoughts on the other side. Do me a favor, make sure you give, uh, Jessica, a follow. She is at Circus Mobility on all the platforms. All right, ladies, and enjoy the show. This week's iTunes review is brought to you by Jackie O. Jazzhands. She writes a great, funny podcast about real topics we all struggle with. Kim gives great advice and support to people to live their best life. Ah. That just fills my heart. Thank you so much for taking the time to write me that five-star review. And for those of you who have yet to leave that five-star review, all you have to do is go on to iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast and do the same thing, and I will read it on the air. So thank you so much, Jackie O'Jazzhands. It fills me up when I get read those reviews from the heart. Enjoy the podcast. Oh, magic makers. So I have a great lady here. Her name is Jessica John. And let me just say this chick has lived a couple of lives. So I'm going to do my best to stay on on track because you know me, I get get easily distracted. Um, And I apologize. It is warm here in Boston. And I had to open my window because it's so bleeping hot. But of course, now there's like a something flying behind me. So I apologize for any noise that might be popping up in the background. Just bear with me. All right. So back to Jessica. Jessica is the owner of Circus Mobility. And now you're like, Kim, I wanted to join the circus when I was like 10 and then I grew out of it. No, that is not why I'm talking to her. Today, I'm talking to her more about the mobility and flexibility that we all need in our lives. And she is just fabulous at it because that's her jam, right? Really working with people who having the mobility, the flexibility, I'm even going to say agility in their life is their... um, their livelihood. But she also did a stint in the CIA. I'm going to do my best not to talk about that because that's really, that is really, really, really interesting, but I'm going to stay on task. I'm going to stay on point. So welcome to the show, Miss Jessica. Thank you. I, I just have to say that I think we stole your weather here in Oregon because I woke up and it was white. Oh, what? what? <laughs> oh, you're like, you're like, dude, like, no, we're good. Oregon. Uh, yeah. Oregon's drunk. <laughs> yeah, I know. What's so funny because I, when it comes to weather, when it's nice out, I'm like, I don't want to talk about it, right? Because I'm like, I don't want to scare it. I don't want it to go away. Yeah, I um, I moved to Oregon right before the pandemic, and really didn't understand the weather. And ah. now two years in, I get it. We have like four months here in the valley, Willamette Valley, of bright blue, beautiful weather. And then the rest is just kind of weird. I'll, I'll leave it at that. Yeah, we we have, uh, they say in New England, so I'm probably assuming it's happening to you there. Like, if you don't like the weather, just wait an hour. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. At least where I live in the Valley is like that. If you're in Portland, though, it just stays overcast and nothing ever changes. <laughs> I know. And it's, uh, I my sister-in-law lives in Seattle for years. And I'm just like, every time I went there, I, I just felt like heavy. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. 
So if you guys live in any of those areas and you're like, oh no, and you can like give us a, like, you know, a TED talk on the weather, bring it on. (laughs) I also understand Boston because I lived there for three years. Yeah. I remember you lived here. So yeah, you totally understand our crazy ass weather. Yes. Yes. (laughs) So Jessica, like we talked about this briefly, but you know, share with my folks, how did you get into this whole, you know, circus, I'm going to call it suspension, um, aerial type training. Very, very randomly. Like, like many good things. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I lived in DC. I was working at the CIA and I walked past an outdoor flying trapeze rig Hmm. and thought to myself, whoa, that's cool. I didn't realize that was a thing that people could just do. do right outside of Rambling <laughs> Brothers, like who does that? Right, who knew? Um, and I don't want to do that. Like <laughs> very immediate reaction, which was very cool. No, no, that is not for me. But maybe they have something else that is for me. Like there was something that I was drawn to, huh. but I knew that flying trapeze was not it. <laughs> so I looked up online. Um, it was the Trapeze School of New York, and they had aerial silks classes and static trapeze classes. And I thought, oh, okay, that's at least I know you're going to start low to the ground because right. of heights. Oh, yeah. So I took my first aerial silks class, and I I was the type of person that had a personal trainer. I went to the gym four days a week. I have grew up being a competitive athlete. So I thought it was in good shape. Mm, Yeah. 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 (laughs) And then I realized very quickly that I, I could not do one of the fundamental things with Ariel, which is flipping yourself upside down. Like I didn't have the strength to invert my body in the air, um, which most people don't, but I thought that I had that. Right. Well, cause you're like, I've been going to the gym for all these years, clearly something translates. Yes. Yes. And it, and it did. I could climb the fabric very well. I climbed all the way to the top and then I slid down and gave myself a big fabric burn on my feet on the way down. And then I tried to flip upside down and it was totally impossible. I just didn't have any of that coordination. Yeah. 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 I have a, a client who's a, uh, pull like this pole dancing and same thing you're just like something has to translate and she's like oh no some but like price she's like 10 percent right right um so I was immediately hooked because I recognized a weakness mm. and I was just intrigued by it in general so right. I, I actually signed up like I finished the class signed up for the next one the next day without really thinking about how sore it was going to be <laughs> and showed up, did a second class, continued to fail. Um, and then just kept going like at least twice a week for probably two or three years. Um, and, and recognized that the only way I was going to get stronger was not necessarily to just keep showing up to class, but changing the way that I trained. And I hired a new personal trainer who was also an aerialist to help me gain the strength that I was missing because my 
previous trainer was just wasn't sports specific. All right. So let's, let's go, let's go back to two things that you said that I'm just like, boom, like if you didn't hear that truth bomb, then were you listening? So first thing you said, I showed up and continued to fail. Yes. How many people are, would show up for that first class and just be mortified that they didn't crush it and then be like, sign, it's not for me. See? Yes. Yes. I think, um, you know, I, I think that, that there's a little bit of personality involved. Um, and then there's a little bit of like nurture <laughs> involved. So right. growing up as a competitive athlete, you, you are trained to just, you know, continue to persist. Yeah. And whether or not that is a good or bad thing, sometimes it is not a good thing, (laughs) but it's, it becomes part of your DNA, which is like, I am the type of person that perseveres. Yeah. And, but I, I, but I like that. Like, but I also feel like, you know, so many of us, you know, as adults, I don't know why we get it into our heads, but we get it into our head that this, you know, I should just show up and boom, like I'm doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Or or maybe after, you you know, you, maybe you give it a month and you should be like, you know, Cirque du Soleil level (laughs) at Ariel. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I, I think when it comes to Ariel in particular, particular and pole dances, I think is the same way right. where you, you don't recognize how hard it is until right. you get into it. It's, you know, if you've been in the gym, you, you know, you can pick up heavy things. Yes. Yeah. Like you go, you, cause you think, especially if you're like someone like, you know, yourself, you're like, I've been going to the gym for decades. Right. So like, how hard could this be? Yeah. Yeah. And, and it is much harder, but it is also a lot more motivating, right? Right. Because you recognize that you have this um, control over your body in a very different way. And again, in the gym, we get into certain movement patterns and certain ranges Mm. that yes, you can lift heavy things, but you don't really have control over your body in, you know, complete range of motion. Yeah. So, and so I'm, I'm going to pull on this right before I go back. So mm-hmm. I, I like that. Cause it's like, you know, I, I feel a lot of my clients in particular, a lot of the women who listen to this podcast, they go to the gym for control mm-hmm. that, you know, maybe life is like, woo, <laughs> but I know in the gym, it makes sense for me. You know, I know that I'm going to lift heavy shit. I'm going to put it down and then I'm going to move on to the next thing. And there's order in the chaos where, you know, what you just described is that there is still control to some extent, but you have to learn that control. And it's, you know, when you're in aerial, sometimes the control isn't where you think it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just constant learning. Yeah. Right. You, once you think you've understood something, you recognize that, oh, wait, I, I understood it in this small context and I've just expanded the context. And suddenly I didn't understand it as well as I thought I did. Right. It requires a a new level of control and perhaps new ranges of motion that you 
didn't need until that moment. But I also find, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, because I've never been on any of this. I've seen it. Um, is that it also requires you sometimes to think on the fly? Yeah, everything doesn't always go according to plan. Right. So <laughs> it's like, you know, I, I know if I go to the gym, I know what a deadlift looks like. I know what, you know, nine times out of 10, unless I'm trying to max out on something, I'm pretty much going to lift it off the floor and then I'm going to put it back down. Mm-hmm. But sometimes in some type of move, you think you got it. Yeah. And you don't. Yeah. And, it, and it's also interesting kind of culturally. So the gym culture versus circus culture. Yeah. Circus culture tends to veer into dance culture sometimes. Yeah. So there's a lot more of this performance um, trying to find these more flow states, yeah, improvisation, mm. that that sort of thing. And aerialists, for the most part, are not used to thinking of the work that they do the same way they think of working out in the gym. They don't think of reps. They don't think of weight. They don't think of, you know, volume. Yeah. <laughs> and then they like, really jack themselves up (laughs) it's so so funny because I was like you know in my head I you know I think about even though I'm not doing three by tens I'm thinking about how many times can I flip myself upside down before some part of my body is like oh no please stop (laughs) right right and and this isn't isn't thought of it's just I'm trying to doing the thing until you get it right and I just think about like you know I remember you know I had a friend who were competitive gymnast and just learning a trick. And the thought of doing that same trick a hundred times never like went through their brain, like what they were, what they were doing to their bodies in order to land said trick over and over and over again. Yeah. So I took my classes twice a week, started doing aerial more and more. And guess what? You got hurt. I, I got hurt. <laughs> You're right. I, you know, it, it, it also stems back, you know, even on the weight side, you know, when CrossFit took off, you know, years ago, we know, you know, it was in our nature to go to the gym five, six, seven times a week. And because we weren't doing things that required athleticism, it what you weren't getting hurt. So you're like, why wouldn't I? this is the gym, right? Why wouldn't I go? And then just like you, people started to increase the volume. They were doing more gymnastic-y, more Olympic lifting type thing. And, you know, shoulders, knees, hips were all like, oh my damn, like this, we're good. Exactly. I ended up um, with a really bad shoulder injury, like a lot of aerialists do. Yeah. Um, And I remember going to a sport chiropractor. And one of the first things that he said to me, it was, let's look at how you breathe. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, wait, what? I'm doing yes. all this crazy stuff in the air and you're going to bring me back to breath. That yeah. just seemed really bizarre to me. But now in retrospect, one of the first things I do with all of my clients how do you start breathe? talking about breath. Yeah. <laughs> 
I'm like, I'm loving this conversation because as I like, as we talk, I have to write things down because you're saying things. I'm like, hang on, I got to go back. (laughs) I got to circle back, but I'm going to continue to pull on this thread because I agree with you. Um, I had a, uh, uh, during the pandemic, so maybe a year and a half ago, um, I was introduced to this woman. Her name is Katie Sinclair. And uh, two, like five years ago, I had abdominal surgery. And for some reason, I just could not turn on my core. Couldn't do it. No matter like how much, like how much I focus on trying to do it, how many things I did, I could not like find my core in anything. And then the first thing she did, we breathed. And, you know, of course I'm a doer. And I was like, what the fuck's this doing? Right. You know, you say that inside your head, you're just yes. Like, and you meanwhile, I'm smiling. Oh yeah. I, I did it. Went to to you know my appointments every week, breathed. <laughs> right. You smile, you're like, yeah, breathing. That I'm paying you for this. Great. Awesome. And I gotta tell you, like probably like a month later, I was like, what the hell? I'm like I can feel my core again after like years of like not having that connection yes yes and I I will also speak the praises of Katie Sinclair Sinclair (laughs) yeah but um I I went through her program recently um and I've started to incorporate a lot more breath work into my own practice because of the work that she shared with me. Yeah. And I've had so many aha moments Mm. in coaching, recognizing that problems that people have when they're holding their body weight upside down has to do with their breathing patterns. So if they don't know how to expand into the chest, yes, they have a really hard time arching in the thoracic when they they're holding their body weight in their hands upside down it's right. completely paired together right and and then for those of you listening you know some of you might be like well first of all i am never going to be hanging upside down okay great fabulous you're not a bat but this breath piece i remember that you know before i remember my uh, massage therapist she would oh, before we would start she'd always like, take a deep breath and i remember the first time i took a deep breath she laughed out loud because my breath was not deep at all. I think, you know, she's like, Kim, I think you might've gotten to like, if I had an Adam's apple, like you probably got to like my Adam's apple in my, in my throat. And she's like, I, she's like, I want to see your chest rise off of the table. And I couldn't do it. Like that was, and she's, and breathing is basic. Like we come out breathing like that. We don't have to learn how to do that, but we dislearn how to take deep breaths. Yes. And in doing so, we're not creating expansion in certain parts of our body. And what that means is important to everyone, because it means that if you're in the weight room, like your range of motion has to be like bigger or smaller to accomplish the same task as someone else based upon your starting posture. Right. And so, you know, that, that whole, and you know, just hearing this all about the breath is also just the breath also helps. Like when you're lifting something really heavy, you know, I see a lot of people like, you know, the first instinct when you lift is to hold your breath. Like that's just, that's our instinctive, like I must brace for impact, but it's like, no, I got to use that breath to help, you know, get myself 
up out of a squat. I get, get my, use the breath to help me get that uh, barbell off my chest. Yeah. And, and also a, a big problem with aerialist has to do with incontinence because yes. of how people are breathing and, or holding breath and forcing pressure into the pelvic floor and movements and they don't talk about it. So nobody knows that it's happening to everyone. Yeah. So, but, you know, exactly. Yeah. Well, because, you know, and I've done a whole show on, um, pelvic floor is because the things they tell us it we're always told to hold we're always told to hold and clench and you know we've held and clenched ourselves so much that like we didn't even know what like loose feels like yes and and imagine so take that and put it in the air if you're trying to control your body in no matter what position, just, you know, you're starting holding by your hands, but it doesn't matter what position you're in, your body's creating tone throughout the body just to maintain some level of control. Right. So your pelvic floor is doing the same thing and you're doing things that are very ab intensive, front right. body intensive. So the, the pelvic floor just gets tighter and tighter and tighter. Right. And aerialists don't know how to decrease that tone. <laughs> right. Especially when you're told, especially if you're someone who's had a child, you must do the Kegels. Like that's yes. what's, that, that is going to be the magic that's going to solve the problem where, you know, uh, if you listen to the public floor um, conversation, it was the Kegel. Uh, so no Kegel. I was, I was, I was um, schooled. The Kegel rhymes with bagel. The Kegel. Okay. <laughs> It was the Kegel muscle. It was the Kegel that caused her to have such a tight pelvic floor because she was told to do that. So I, I, I you know, I'll link that up in the, sh- the show notes, but it, I love how you talked about the breath. Cause it's like, if I'm, if I can't take a deep breath, you're right. Other things become more challenging. Yeah. And so pulling it back to shoulders, which, you know, the, if you're not breathing into your back upper ribs, yep, it's really hard for the scapula to sit on the ribs in a way mm. that is really stable from a hanging posture. So that can cause a lot of problems, whether you're talking about a little bit of scapular winging or you're talking about scapula that just move a little bit when they should be the thing that is stable so that you can move your legs or you can move your hips or, or whatever. Um, so years of that can cause some problems. Yeah. And, you know, as, and as you talk about shoulders, like, you know, everyone's got a a cranky shoulder from doing God knows what we've done, you know, and a lot of it, you know, I know for me, it was a lot of pull-ups and it was probably because I wasn't setting my scapula back. Well, yeah, don't, don't get me started on pull-ups. <laughs> pull-ups is one of those things. As an aerialist, I am very uh, aware of scapular mechanics related to this, like very, very well. And how most people are taught to do a pull-up does not go with biomechanics. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're starting a pull-up in an impinged position. So it's, yeah. it, it's, a, it's a real issue, <laughs> but aerialists know this one because um, we are taught arms overhead, scapula are in this 
gap wrapped position, which is external rotation, protraction, right. posterior Versus tilt what? elevation. All of us, which is all of us start which, here. Like, pulling down. Right, I'll start right here. <laughs> yes. Not even paying attention. Like you're just like my hands are up. That's the only thing you care about. Are my hands Ex- are up and they're on the bar. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's the only thing you think about. And then, as you said, like yeah, I should think about it. My arm should be out, not in. And yeah, I yeah. totally, I totally agree with you. But also, you know, we also the same thing that we all do. The volume, like. Should you do as much volume as you're doing? No. <laughs> Speaking from experience, no. Yeah, I, I'd say pull-ups are probably a quality over quantity exercise. Uh, yes, absolutely. So, you know, the things that like Rona Kim knows now versus what Rona, what pre-Rona Kim did not know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but that's, I mean, unfortunately. Sometimes that's the way we learn. And yes. Yeah. Sometimes you got to put your hand in the fan to realize that it's going to cut you before. Exactly. <laughs> and if I wouldn't have gone through that shoulder experience, I would not be where I am now. So <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, you know, going back to what we t- you start, you said earlier, which I absolutely love is that getting stronger. Um, so to, to do the aerial work, I had to change the way I was training to get stronger. And, you know, I think so many of us started our journeys in this like bodybuilding type workouts where it was like, I'm going to deadlift, I'm going to squat, I'm going to bicep curl, right? And it was never really a endpoint as to why I was working out. Mm-hmm. It, you just, I guess there was just a hope that you were like going to the gym, it's all good, right? <laughs> Where here it was like, you know what, I had to get stronger. So what were some of the things that like tweaked a little bit between, you know, just your a traditional gym workout to a kind of getting stronger workout? Yeah, I I mean, really, there was not much of an emphasis on pulling and hanging uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in what I was doing before. It was a much more pushing and lower body intensive mm. type of training. And I mean, this was now, you know, 15 years ago. Um, definitely styles of training have changed over time. This was before CrossFit kind of right, took right. over the world. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I remember doing a lot of like, I don't know, like, lunges on boxes and box plyos and um, just typical movements, but not doing things super heavy because it wasn't as popular 15 years ago for women to lift as heavy. Right. Um, And a lot more circuits. Um, And it definitely like I had a good base level of fitness but I didn't feel strong. Right. Right. Um, and I definitely did not feel that I could hold my body weight with my hands <laughs> for long periods of time. Right. Right. Yeah. So, you know, so you start, you go to this class, you're like, this is awesome. I got to get stronger. Now, when did you start to say, you know, yourself that, okay, it's not only being strong, 
but it's, I also need to have some more mobility, flexibility, stability, if I'm really going to excel at being an aerialist. Yeah. So it, it started with that shoulder injury, recognizing I didn't know how to breathe, which mm-hmm. I overcorrected in the wrong direction. Suddenly I was belly breathing all the time and that wasn't the answer either. <laughs> um, and recognizing that part of my shoulder issue had to do with my lack of thoracic um, extension, mm-hmm. right? I was just a little kyphotic curled in. My pecs were really tight. And again, my scapula weren't moving well on my back. Um, so there is, a, this is a similar thing to that first silks class where I recognized that I wasn't strong. Mm-hmm. This Cairo appointment helped me recognize that I wasn't mobile. Uh, and that that was the thing that was holding me back. And I don't, I don't like to be held back, right? right if right, I know right. there's a problem, I'm going to, to go after the solution. And because I was injured, um, I couldn't do my sport the way that I wanted to. So I had a lot of time suddenly right. that I needed to fill with something else. Yeah. <laughs> and what I did was um, I was curious about gyrotonic. It's something that I'd taken a couple of classes of, but there was uh, the person I was taking private lessons from was like an hour away. So it wasn't convenient for my schedule. Right, right. And I filled my schedule up with Ariel. Um, So because I couldn't do Ariel, I uh, um, signed up for a pre-training for gyrotonic and had no intention of becoming a trainer. I just wanted to understand the system and I knew enough about it that I knew it was going to help me with that mobility piece that Mm -hmm. was missing because in the few sessions that I did, my upper back was like, Oh my gosh, what is happening? (laughs) So it it was the first thing I thought of as far as thoracic mobility went was gyrotonic and it, that right there just changed completely changed my path. Um, yeah. Describe gyrotonic for those people who don't know what it is. Gyrotonic is a movement system that that is all encompassing, um, but works on some key principles, which is if you're familiar with somatics, somatics talk about, um, pendiculation, which is kind of this lengthening and then releasing back. Um, and gyrotonic uses the same principles through movements like the arch and curl. So there's a lot of lengthening, lifting and moving into extension and then the reverse through spinal motions and talking also a lot about spirals through the body. And again, that ringing out sensation of spiraling with length and reaching in the body. So gyrotonic as a system uses um, apparatuses, machinery (laughs) like Pilates does, Mm. uh, but there is also a matte version called gyrokinesis. um, So it's not necessary to have complicated machines, but they really help facilitate the movements. Gotcha, gotcha. So you, so you go to this class and you're forever changed that you're like, you know what, 
great. I can, you can climb, you can flip, but if you don't have this kind of this mobility flexibility, it's, you're always going to hit some type of ceiling in your training. Yes. Yes. And not just, you know, in, in aerial, people think about a ceiling that is related to an inability to do a, you know, aesthetic position. Mm. It's not just that. It's an inability to align your body in ways that the joints are performing optimally and not causing wear and tear on the body. Your body obviously can create all kinds of compensations, some of which are harmful and some of which are not harmful, right? Right. But when you add load to some of those compensations that weren't completely weren't harmful when you were just standing up, but now that you're hanging from your arms, that compensation doesn't work for your body anymore. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. And, you know, speaking of conversation, speaking of conversations, I, you know, everyone has a compensation, you know, it's just that we don't know it, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I, you know, and as a trainer, you look, you're, you know, I, I remember when I first started in this business, um, the, one of my mentors, he said, Kim, go to, and at the time I was doing a lot of road races. He's like, go to a road race. And he goes and look at everyone's feet. And I, I still look at everyone's feet from like this like for years. I look at everyone's feet. It's like, if you look at your feet, they'll tell, they'll, they'll tell you what's going on. Like they'll tell you where their compensation is. And yes. it's, and it's really funny because I just look at people's feet. And I remember um, a friend of mine was like, well, you know, I don't have really good balance because my toe, my, my big toes are longer. And I was like, that's not genetic. That's how you walk. I was like, I'm like, you walk on your tippy toes, your your big toe has to be bigger so that you don't fall over. Like <laughs> it just it like it just had to like compensate so that you don't fall on your face. And they were like, Really? And I was like, you probably always walk that way. And so it just over time, it just had to grow. As you grew up, it just grew. And she was like, Oh. Like it just like blew her mind. Like she just Yeah, like like bunions, right? <laughs> yeah. She just thought that that was like how she was built. And I was like, no, I mean, your toes should be the same size, roughly kind of like your fingers. Like my thumb isn't going to automatically grow longer <laughs> unless I did something really weird and my thumb grew longer. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think, you know, there's a, a lot of debate these days about posture right and <laughs> and ideal posture and yeah. you know it a lot of our compensations like the body is trying to help us yes right it's trying to help us succeed in what we're giving to it um and a lot of those compensations if they're working then awesome like there's no there's no problem until right. there's a problem right <laughs> until there is you know pain associated with a compensation right and even then sometimes that's not even um you know it's sometimes really hard to know if the pain is coming from that thing or not <laughs> right so you know if someone's like all right so she you know Jessica's making a good point. Like, you know, I, I get it. You know, 
how is, and, and maybe they're like, but I don't ever want to be an aerialist. Like how would mobility training help me in my day-to-day life? Yeah. I mean, first off, you never know what you're going to decide you want to do later in life. <laughs> and that's what happened to me. I started aerial in my thirties. I'm in my forties now. The problems came from doing aerial for a couple of years without mobility right? or the ranges that I needed. I had no idea that in my thirties, I was going to get into this, you know, endeavor that involved a lot of hanging from my arms. Right. I mean, if you walk down a different street that day, who knows? Yeah. You might decide you want to play golf. You might decide you want to play tennis. It doesn't have to be circus. It can be any activity. And suddenly the compensations in your body don't work for the sport. Yes. Right. Yeah. And having a good general range of motion at every joint is going to benefit you for whatever you decide to do next in life. Right. Even if, you know, you're not experiencing any discomfort now, right. What you're doing next in life may be the pandemic and sitting at a computer screen and in a posture for long periods of the day, suddenly, guess what? You changed what you were doing. Right. It may have not have been a choice you wanted to make, but it's a choice that you made. And suddenly, like your body does not respond to that new stimulus well. Right. And mobility is one of the things that is going to help you like be able to adjust to those changes. I, you know, I, I, I like that, you know, the ability to adjust and, you know, we had a lot of stuff thrown at us in the last couple of years, a lot of curveball, a lot of unforeseen, um, uh, experiences thrown at us. And, and I, and I like that approach. And so it's kind of also like mobility is also just like a way to help prepare for the unknown. Yes. Adaptability. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things I always kind of challenge my clients and I'm going to challenge those of you listening is that mobility can be a workout. Oh, yes. You know, because it's, you know, I know some people here are like, well, how do I fit it into my schedule? And, you know, what does it count as? <laughs> and mobility in and of itself can actually be a, a workout. You know, mobility itself can, that I think of like the things that have always been nagging you, <clears throat> they're nagging you for a reason. Absolutely. And, and so if you think back to like before you had your shoulder, actually had your shoulder injury, I'm sure there were little like inklings along the way that you're just like, you're good. You're good. And now you're like, okay, ah, you know, one plus two equals three. Yes. Yes. Um, and what you said about mobility being a workout, I, right now I am so sore Uh. (laughs) because I I took a class yesterday and I taught a class yesterday, both of which were back classes. Yep. And working on back extension Mm. actively 
Mm. right? So lying on your stomach and pulling your chest up into a cobra position without using your hands. Yeah. That is a lot of strength in those spinal extensors. Oh yeah. And they don't, if you, if you think about what you've been doing for the last two years, we're right now sitting, talking to each other. I could be hunched over typing on my computer or scanning on my phone, but this is how I've been. So for you to say now making your back, like go this way, your back's like, Oh, hell no. (laughs) Yes. Yes, exactly. And so when I, when I talk about mobility, um, I am talking about increasing your end range and controlling Mm. your end range. Yeah. So I'm not talking about passive flexibility. Um, and I, I have a hard time talking about some of these distinctions because I really don't like the terminology. Like I reject yeah. the oh, terminology. The, the, termin- <laughs> the terminology, first of all, it's just too complicated. Like if they, because it's like, you know, as I'm, most of the people who listen to this are just people like, I like to work out. Like that's who they're listening. <laughs> and so like the difference between mobility and flexibility is there's just like a, a nuancey kind of thing. It is a made up thing. It is people just made up a distinction. Right. You know, because it's like flexibility just wasn't enough on its own. (laughs) Right. Well, and in passive flexibility, people, no matter what it says in a textbook, passive implies passive. Right. So, right. So, yeah. Suddenly people are using passive to mean static not moving, but still requiring muscular engagement, just isometrically. And for me, that that's not passive. Passive is just like where you relax into something completely. Right. Like passive is like, um, at the end of yoga, Shavasana, that's passive. Exactly. Exactly. But if I'm, if I'm got one foot up and I'm reaching towards my toe, there's some activation going on. It's not very, um, like, it's not very active, but there's still sensations happening. There's still like nerve fire, no nerve endings firing, telling me I'm stretching my hamstring. Well, and if I'm coaching you through that stretch, I'm asking you to lift your sits bones, move your low back into lumbar extension, go right. into an anterior pelvic tilt, reach through the toe, engage the quad. Like there is all of this activation right. happening. Exactly. So like, so there's activation, but even though there, I might not be moving anything per se, there is some type of, I say activation is movement. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 I mean, it is. Well, because again, if you are lifting your sits bones, you're going into an anterior pelvic tilt, there is a directional focus. So it's not just isometric. There's actually like isometric, but but moving in a direction. Yeah. And so, so I, I agree with you. So I think, you know, if we call, instead of calling it mobility, if we called it active flexibility, that would make, I think so much more like, as you're trying to like fit the pockets into your brain, that would make much more sense because, you know, I want to be able to learn, like, as I, like I said, in in the pull up, we're just taught to raise your hand above your head and pull yourself up. But it's like, if you said, rotate your shoulders so that your shoulders aren't like all up in your ears before you pull yourself up, 
you'd be like, oh, all right. And then if I, you said part of your practice is to like practice doing that, that is what's something I would do. Yeah. Yeah. And so when I'm thinking about mobility or active flexibility, I am always thinking about preparing the body for the ranges of motion Mm. necessary for the task at hand. Yeah. Right. So if, if your primary form of exercise is lifting, then you are mobilizing for the lifts that you do. Right. Right. And you are mobilizing to kind of counterbalance the lifts that you do. Right. Because we tend to get in certain movement patterns within our exercise routines. And we need to think about balance in addition to helping us with the task. And now if I'm someone who, you know, I don't have a lot of, of, of time in my life to work out. I feel like mobility work can be something that's accessible to all. Yes. And that it's instead of, you know, like we talked about going to the gym, like we just go, like there's no real end game to go into the gym. But now here, it's like my end game is just my long-term, longe- my, my long-term healthy longevity, you know, being yep. able to live on my own. And I know, we, you know, many of us don't want to think about it, but like, let's just fast forward 40 years. You want to be able to live on your own, get out of your own damn chair, get off the toilet. Yes. <laughs> like you said, maybe in, when I'm in my 80s, I still want to be able to play golf or tennis or hell lift a gallon of milk, you know, something without having assistance or, you know, sitting around dinner, kibitzing about my bad insert the joint. Right. Right. (laughs) Or even one of the things that I've learned over the course of the pandemic is I, I had a change in my movement, which was to start going on walks every day, Mm. which is not something that I did before the pandemic because I just didn't have time. I was commuting all the time. Right. And I started walking an hour a day consistently. And suddenly I started to have SI joint pain Ah, because I changed what I was doing. So yes, I am doing all of this mobility work, but I am doing it with increasing ranges for my sport. I wasn't doing it to improve the quality of my gait me- mechanics. Right, right, right. <laughs> Cuz right. I'm a person that hangs from my hand. Yeah, exactly. I, I didn't think about feet too much. And right. suddenly I had to because I changed what I was doing. Yeah. And I've yeah, learned yeah. now a lot about, you know, how I need to think about the shoes that I wear for example. Yeah. Because that can make a big difference in, you know, how you walk. Yeah. I am a shoe. Um, I'm a shoe diva. Um, as far as, you know, a lot of people complain to me about something. And the first thing I ask is I say, hold your shoes. Like that's the, the first question. If you complain, complain to me about your running or your something, I'm like, hold your shoes. And most people are like, mm, mm, mm. like they, they can't. And I'm like, if you don't remember when you got them, it's time for a new pair. Yeah. Well, m- my thing is I was wearing really great shoes, but they were minimal shoes. Yeah. And if you're walking and, a lot. 
And I was walking a lot. Yeah, exactly. And I needed just a little more, like a little heel lift and suddenly the pain went away. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, there was a time, you know, when the whole minimalist shoe movement was like, you know, go barefoot or die kind of thing. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And there were people going barefoot and I was like, I live in the city. I'm like, that's just straight up like asking for some, I don't know what you're going to get, but you're asking for it. (laughs) Yeah. Wearing socks with just like a little rubber on the bottom around the city. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. I was like, yeah, that's just not going to happen for me. I mean, in my house, I walk barefoot, but I was like outside. No, 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 no. Um, so if someone's, you know, for you, for you, you know, the people who you train, how many days a week are you, are you putting mobility into kind of the programs that you give them? Is it a separate mobility day? Um, it really depends on the goals of Mm. the client. Some people have mobility goals Mm. and some people have other performance goals that have, uh, mobility requirements. So for someone who actually has a mobility goal, let's say they want to get a flat middle split, (laughs) then they're being programmed specific longer sessions that are just devoted to mobility, going through all different types of flexibility training within that session. But for someone else, if their goal has to do with um, lifting their toes to the to a bar while hanging a very common CrossFit type movement. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, Then they don't need these long mobility sessions, Mm -hmm. but they do need consistent mobility work. Yep. Either before to prepare for the session. So a lot of lat opening sort of movement and scapular mobility mechanics. Right. And then also, you know, the, hip um stability control to be able to lift the toes higher toward the bar and hamstring length so that type of stuff might be the tail end of a weight lifting session right so some shoulder mobility work in the beginning that helps you prepare you for the things that you're doing and then some hamstring hip active hip mobility work at the end um before you leave your session gotcha 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 yeah and and just understanding sometimes the movement in the gym that you're doing is a mobility training movement so if you're talking about a squat (laughs) guess what a squat is is mobilizing your hips and doing it under load so that may be more thinking about your squat differently, right? Doing some sets that are, have a different stance or go to a different depth um, yeah. with different weight, just so that you're focusing on the mobility aspects and not the, the load aspects. Gotcha. 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 Yeah, no, I, I that's a, um, that's a great way to think about it. Um, and, you know, I, I think everyone can benefit from adding a little mobility or actually not a little, a lot of mobility to your, um, to your workout. Yeah. And I, it, 
it makes me think I was talking to a client recently who was um, in the weight room three days a week doing a lower body program Mm. and doing a ton of aerial training and flexibility training as well. And I had a conversation with her, Mm. (laughs) which was in this training cycle, right? Um, Let's periodize this in this training cycle. Let's cut out those three days of legs. Right. Because guess what? The mobility work that you're doing is leg day. Right. It's going to give you. You're thinking about them as separate things in your brain, but they're not. So what's actually happening in your body is you're getting five days a week of legs and it's too much. Yeah. 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 And that's why people need coaches because, like, you know, we all get caught into that, like, um, sometimes we don't see the trees for the forest and mm-hmm. you know, you're like, you're doing a whole lot of trees right now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> and the answer is not always more. Yeah. I mean, and it's, it, it's in our culture, right? Like if I do it one time, if I do it 400 times, clearly I'm going to nail it faster by doing that many more, that many more times. Yes. And it, it is counterproductive (laughs) no matter how many times I say it to clients it just it's a hard one to get to stick oh that doing less actually can be more that if you are overloading your nervous system you are doing things that are actually counterproductive so that extra session may be moving you backwards instead of forward Oh, yes, 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 yes. Yeah, that's, I have a lot of, you hear that over trainers? I'm talking to you. Yeah, I have a lot of people who are in that, like, you know, I must do a leg day and I must do 10 exercises. Like every muscle group must be worked in this one day. No. And it is also recognizing how stress impacts the body. Hmm. And that if you are really, really stressed out, Ugh. continuing to train a normal heavy session actually could be moving you backwards as well. Yeah. Yeah. Those are, you know, you know, it's, it's one of those things how I had to learn my lesson about my pull-ups. Like some people, like as much as you see your clients sprinting towards that brick wall and much as you say, you know what? why are you just, why are you doing like 10 exercises? Why don't we cut it in half? Maybe take off two exercises, take off a few reps. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you're like, that brick wall is going to come for you. I'll be there to pick you up. Yep, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) But there's usually a point that they come back to you and then say, yeah, you're right. I should have taken that break. And remember that brick wall? Well, yeah, it hit me. Yeah, yeah. It hit me like a ton of bricks and I'm okay um not hitting that wall anymore. So what were you talking about before? Yeah. But all, and also the um you know, that whole boiling frog thing where people don't recognize the amount of stress they're under until yeah. they hit burnout. So yeah, exactly. I I don't know why it, 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 you know, we both train a lot of women and I don't know what it is about women that we feel like, you know, unless like the house is literally on fire and like, you're starting to see like, it couldn't implode on you that you're like, maybe I should pay attention to some things. 
Yeah, and, and the, the co-regulation aspects as well, recognizing that although you may feel pretty okay, if there are people in your household that are going through stuff, guess what? That also impacts you. You're going through stuff too. Yep. <laughs> so this has been like such a great conversation. You know, we hit on so many different things. Like one, we just talked about like just the checking your ego, you know, for you to get into this work, you had to check your ego. You had to be like, you know what? I kind of suck at this, but I'm going to, I want to improve. And so it just pushed you into that, that thrive to, as you said, persist, like persist until, and I'm sure now you're still like, there are things on your list that you want to aspire to. Oh, many things. Right. But you know, it's like, what started is like, I just want to flip myself over. And then you're like, okay, now once I flip myself over, I want to be able to do this. Now I do that now. And so it, you know, I think everyone has this, like, I arrive someplace, right. And the band's going to be playing and there's going to be glitter, maybe some shrimp. And then you're like, there's no glitter, there's no shrimp. And you either have to say, find that inner cheerleader to like, take it to the next level or you're disappointed. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that is something that everyone, everyone struggles with. Um, It gets that to the, gets to the root of why do you do what you do? Yeah. And when it comes to aerial, people have very different reasons for doing it. Some have to do with some of the control things that you talked about at the beginning of this, Mm -hmm. Um, being able to control your body is very empowering, um, especially while aging yeah um and being able to achieve new things as well it just it feels great in ways that um yeah I I can't I can't quite compare it to anything else yeah Um, you know you have to find I always say you have to find your like lane right like the the lane that makes you feel most comfortable is the lane that you're going to want to keep going Yes. And if you're unsure of what that is, I encourage folks to think back to when they were a kid Mm. and think of the things that brought you a lot of joy, the the movement things that brought you a lot of joy. Because for me, it was climbing trees. Right. You know, I loved climbing trees. I loved hanging upside down on the monkey bars. I would do it all day long by myself. And yet when I got older, I started playing tennis because that was, you know, something that was, yeah, well, also it was easier to, you know, there wasn't really circus when I was young, I guess I could have been in gymnastics, but that's complicated and expensive. (laughs) Well, and and it's very different. Yes. Yes. It's a very different Um, approach than Ariel. Yeah. Um, but if you want to find the things that you love, like little, the little version of you didn't overthink things. They knew, you know, he or she knew what they loved and you probably will still gravitate toward those things. Oh, facts (laughs) for sure. And then, you know, we talked about breath, which I think is absolutely fabulous. And, you know, I did a whole, um, I'm going to put this down too, because I'm referencing so many things. I did a whole podcast on breath work. And so, you know, if you are like, I don't understand how this all works together, like go to that podcast. She does a great job explaining how just 
you know, it's great. It's a just great way to just get in touch with your entire body. And we you know what Jessica's talking about, being able to be an aerial or any type of surface thing, you have to be in your body. <laughs> if your mind is over here thinking about all sorts of other things other than the being in the moment, you're going to struggle. Yeah. And so we talked about control. The other aspect that is really wonderful about Ariel is being present. Yeah. Right. You can't, you can't think about anything else. You can't even try to, it's just like, you're trying to survive. (laughs) Your body is like, I need to continue hanging on so I can survive. Right. I need you here. Like I need you right here. (laughs) All the noise goes away. Yeah. And I think for a lot of us, we need to find, you know, Jessica said, find that thing that makes the noise just like, you know, go fade back into the, into the, into the background. All right. This has just been a fabulous conversation. So Jessica, I ask everybody before they, before we um, finish the call, I say, what makes you feel most magical? Oh, um, my immediate response was something where I am moving, but then I realize that what makes me feel most magical are certain moments in coaching. Ooh. Yes. There is something really magical in giving some, giving a cue to someone to help them succeed in a way that feels like magic for them. Ah, oh. So what feels amazing are like, I got a message today that was, you know, Jessica gave me this magic cue. Ah. (laughs) And it's, and it, it does feel like magic because cueing is so individual. Yeah. And it's funny because I, I, I know that, I know that feeling because there's sometimes like, you have a cue that you've been using for decades and then you go someplace else and someone cues that very same position, movement, whatever. And they say just like one or two words. You're like, yeah. Like, and you're just like, it just opens up the exercise in a different way that you're like, you know what? I think that person who like, no matter how many times I say this damn cue doesn't get it. If I say this, will they get it? Yes. And so cueing is very relational. And I think that that's what makes it feel magical. Yeah. I love that. That's, you know, no one has ever said that before, but I think that is like, you're right. That is, you know, when that person finally like clicks, you're like, yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it's, you know, yeah, your own successes feel good, but that gets back to that short-lived thing. Like you succeed, then you go to the next thing. You succeed, you go to the next thing. But when you help someone else succeed, it feels very different. Yeah, very, very, very different. I love that. That's a, that is, that is probably, um, I I hear a lot of good ones, but like that one, yeah, you're absolutely right. Cause it's like, especially when you're just like, I don't know how else to describe this. And and you've been like banging your head for like, you know, depends on how long you've been working with the person. And then when you find that those new, like one or two phrases, you're like, holy shit. Like it was that. Yeah, exactly. 
So Jessica, I want to thank you so much for taking your time and chatting with me today. And Magic Makers, um, f totally follow Jessica. She does some cool ass shit on Instagram. So Jessica, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me on circusmobility.com or at circusmobility on Instagram and Twitter. And yeah, so she, she does some cool ass shit. And forever, for those of you guys who ever say, hey, I want to hop on a shrap piece or hop on a silk, definitely look her up. She is your girl. Thank you so much for having me, Kim. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for listening to the Fit Girl Magic Podcast. If you've made it this far, yay. I'm thinking you enjoyed the show. Let's continue the conversation on Instagram. You can find me at Kim Jefferson Coach. In order for me to keep sharing this message, do me a favor and leave me a five-star review on iTunes. While you're there, don't forget to subscribe so that you won't miss an episode. New episodes are available every Wednesday. The Fit Girl Magic Podcast is intended to provide you with tips, tools, and strategies that will help you make better decisions about your health. I really appreciate your feedback and your support. Thank you so much. Thank you.